What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Friday. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're excited that pro football is back. Sure, it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world, and it was Robert Griffin III for a full half, thereabouts, playing against the Bears' backup, Tyler Bray. He was Tyler Bray. Chase Daniel involved. Uh, Lamar Jackson showed up. I, I think that my – look. The Ravens and the Bears played a game in the Hall of Fame game. It was 17-10 with 4.41 left, around 11 o'clock Eastern. You have to forgive me for that. If, if, we, if we don't get the final score, look, if somebody goes, if it goes to overtime, I'll own that, okay? If Matt Nagy goes for the extra point instead of two, I'll own that. It's fine. I had the over. I thought, I thought the over would hit. It looked great earlier, and uh, I got burned by it. That's fine. Had a, uh, got, got to get a beer in Vegas. I'm in Vegas right now, uh, with Lewis Dahls, pick six listener. Shout out Lewis. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the beer, buddy. That was a blast. Good talking to you. If you were, if I'm ever in your neighborhood or ever, if you ever want to hang out, by all means, let's grab a beer. You can email me at willbrinson at gmail.com. You can tweet me at willbrinson. Um, as far as the game goes itself, I don't, I really don't think there's that much to discern from it. Robert Griffith III went 7-11 for 58 yards, a touchdown and a pick, but he clearly looked overwhelmed by whatever was going on. Like his, his, his throwing motion looked a bit elongated. And then Lamar Jackson's 4 of 10 for 33 yards, a touchdown and a pick, but he was getting blitzed. Like it, it, people were like, you know, he, he's got to create on his own. No, I mean, like he, there's nothing to create. He's, he's dropping back and he's getting hammered by these Bears guys. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't read too much into this. I would urge you not to read too much into it. I think Lamar Jackson will be fine. By the way, 24 rushing yards. Lamar Jackson can be dangerous. Uh, it, it is very much Joe Flacco's job in Baltimore. No chance he loses that gig. And if he plays well, there's no chance that Lamar Jackson will show up. I, I don't think, I don't think John Harbaugh wants Lamar Jackson to play. I think he wants to make the playoffs with Joe Flacco. That's his style of play. That's what he wants to do. He wants to have defense. He wants to have special teams working. He wants to have a run game that dominates Alex Collins down the field and then Joe Flacco taking shots. He doesn't want to do something new with Lamar Jackson. He's a, he's an Andy Reid understudy, but he's not an Andy Reid guy. Andy Reid would want Lamar Jackson in there right now, or at least, I mean, maybe not. Maybe, maybe he'd want to go Alex Smith. Maybe they're just following Andy Reid's pattern. Whatever it is. The point being, I, I would, I will say this about the Bears. If you're going to take one thing away from this game, the Bears looked offensively much more well constructed than they did under John Fox, which is like saying that a, a, a house looks better than a clay hut. No offense to John Fox. I'm sure he's great on television. John Fox is not an offensive guy. Matt Nagy, we'll see if he's a great coach. But at the very least, Matt Nagy's offense is infinitely more interesting and spaced out and involving the passing game than John Fox's offense. They only scored 10 points pending, and Mitchell Trubisky didn't play, Allen Robinson didn't play, but you could see the, you could see the pieces in place where the Bears would at least have some kind of offense. Coming up on today's show, Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders, as, uh, as you might have heard, we recorded this on Wednesday, doesn't matter. 
still very relevant. Aaron's the best in the biz when it comes to analytics. If you haven't been reading Football Outsiders Almanac and you haven't subscribed to Football Outsiders Almanac and you're not buying it, you're doing it wrong. It's a rite of passage for the NFL season. The things that they have in there have been ahead of the curve for like five or six years, and they're still ahead of the curve. And the Kubiak projections, which you and I talk about, are uh, you know, blow the roof off in terms of fantasy analysis. I use them for all of my fantasy drafts. Not even kidding. So I highly recommend you check those out. Let's go talk to Aaron Schatz. All right, Aaron, let's, uh, let's dive into the almanac. And of course I will tweet out a link for people to purchase it. If I haven't done that already, then no, I apologies. It is, I feel like the football outsiders almanac is a rite of passage for the NFL season, whereby the, not only is the preseason here, and fantasy football is here, but, but like, like it's, it's one of those things that happens to let us know that football is upon us. Uh, are, are you pleased that you have embedded yourself that deeply in the, the, the cultural zeitgeist of the NFL? I am honored to play the part in the calendar that used to be played by the Bill James baseball abstract ah, when I was growing up. Yeah, for sure. Um, and for, for those that don't know, I mean, how many, how many years is this now that you've been doing the almanac, it's got to be 10 or this is 15? The 14th okay. book. This is our 14th book. Yeah. 10 of them called Football Outsiders Almanac. Yeah, so I'm right. Four of them before that called Pro Football Prospectus when we used to write it in conjunction with Baseball Prospectus. Sure. And footballoutsiders.com went online in July of 2003. <laughs> so the website just celebrated its 15th birthday. Well, congratulations on your uh, your learner's permit. I think I've been doing this longer than anyone else, pretty much, as far as football analytics. I, I, I can't, you know, I, I, I need to explain myself with backup to claim I'm the best, but I, I feel pretty good in claiming I'm the first. I mean, the internet wasn't even a functional thing back in 2003, so you're, you were certainly ahead of the curve. Um, I, there was dial-up. There was dial-up. <laughs> That's right. You could, uh, you could get those, uh, JP, JPEGs, as we called them. Um, on, on AOL, uh, online. I, I, I'm curious when, what are some of the, just as a general question, what are some of the predictive trends that you tend that, you know, in, 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 in throughout, you know, doing this for a decade and a half plus, what are some of the predictive trends that really stand out to you that have held up over the test of time that might tell you what a team is going to do, um, from one year to the next? Sure. Um, the biggest one is the fact that offense is more consistent from year to year than defense yes. and defense is more consistent than special teams. Mm. And last year was actually an exception to the rule. Last year, defense was more consistent from the year before than offense was, but most years, offense is going to be easier to predict than defense, and defense is going to be easier to predict than special teams. Well, that's a great uh, segue into my next question, which is, uh, what stood out to you when looking, and you guys do mean projections, which is, you know, X number of wins, uh, for each team, you know, of course the Patriots have uh, 16 every year for you. And again, you like to joke about uh, people believing you have a Patriots bias. We all, those of us who know you know it's not true. But the one that stood out to me, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you mentioned defense not consistent year to year. The Jaguars have a mean projected win total of 7.7 wins, meaning that the, the football outsiders uh, statistical algorithm is projecting a sub-500 season for the Jaguars, or at least in the realm of possibility, right? Yeah, and I, look, that seems a little low to me, too. But what doesn't seem a, low, a little low to me is the idea that Jacksonville is not far ahead of the rest of the division. Mm. 
right? The AFC is still New England and Pittsburgh far ahead of everybody else. There will be somebody else up there with New England and Pittsburgh, but we don't know yet who it's going to be. It, it, you know, it's hard to predict, but it's pretty easy to predict those two teams. And yet, listen, okay, first of all, let's start with the reason to believe Jacksonville will actually get better this year, because I, I have to at least acknowledge the fact that this is a team that underperformed its projection based solely on points scored and allowed last year. Yes. Normally, by, that by, is by nearly that like is two a games for improvement. Yeah, it was by nearly like two games, right? I mean, they're supposed to be a 13 win team or a 12 win team, and they, they only won 10 games last year. Right. So normally that's a recipe for improvement, but then you look at sort of how Jacksonville did it. And here's the thing, right? Not only is offense more consistent and easy to predict than defense, run defense is a better predictor of the following year's defensive rating than pass defense is. So we went back and we looked at other teams like the Jaguars in history that had like a top three pass defense, but a below average run defense. And in general, those teams regressed back towards the mean even more than you would otherwise expect. There was a, and there's another a bunch of other things also that sort of trend to the idea that the defense is going to come back to the pack. They were extraordinarily healthy last year. That's not likely to continue. They were third in the league in takeaways. That's not likely to continue. They were heavily dependent on sacks. I mean, as good as that secondary is, and I ain't questioning those two cornerbacks, believe me, they were heavily dependent on sacks. And that doesn't continue from year to year as much right. as other things do. So there's just a lot of trends that point to the idea of Jacksonville being a good defense this year, but not a stellar one. And the problem is, if they're not a stellar defense, then the offense falls behind in the game script, and they can't do nothing but run for net all day, and Blake Bortles has to actually do things, and uh-oh. <laughs> it's really weird, because when you look at the Jaguars' wins last year, I think that they had... And I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I apologize, but I think it's like six games they won by 20 points or more. But then they also had like three or four games where they lost by 20 points or more. Um, they, they were wildly inconsistent. You're right. They're not built to come from behind. And I, Pete Prisco has pointed out in this program that they only lost like three games to injury on defense, on the defensive side of the ball last yep. year. And there is the idea that when you talk about rush defense versus pass defense, if you lose somebody in the middle, say a Calais Campbell for any extended period of time, not only does your rush defense suffer, but it has a, a trickle down effect on your pass defense as well, right? Well, he's huge for, he's huge for pass rush. I mean, sure. he, he's a big pass rush guy, but yeah, they, they were unbelievably healthy last year. And, and as far as Bortles goes, this stat didn't even make it into the book, I don't think, but, uh, first quarter passing rating by our DVOA ratings, right? That's our main rating system that takes every play, assigns a, a, a number of success points based on the down and distance, compares it to all similar plays, adjusts for opponents. Based on that, he was something like second in the league Yikes. in the first quarter and like 23rd in the league in the second through fourth quarters. Is that really likely to continue again this year, that he's that much better in the first quarter? If he's not that much better in the first quarter, then Jacksonville isn't running the ball nonstop with those big leads throughout the rest of the game, especially if the defense is not as good as it was last year. And again, I'm not questioning the talent of any of these players. Uh, I am questioning whether they're all going to be healthy. <laughs> yeah. do, do you think it's surprising then that because Jacksonville, 
Um, you know, with the presence of Tony Khan, of, I would like to thank friend of the pro, yeah, friend of, I'm friend of mine, friend of the program, uh, great guy, the, analytically inclined. Are you surprised that they wouldn't go out there understanding the need to improve that offense? I know they got Andrew Norwell, which boosts the running game, but depending on Blake Bortles, and we're getting a lot of these Blake Bortles is looking great training camp stories that are coming out, which is fine, but we heard them last year too. Um, are you surprised that they stood pat at that position uh, with the quarterback last year? I mean, Bortles was an average NFL starter last year. When you look at his overall performance, it's just that I don't, if they can't stay, a, you know, if they can't keep the game script going their way, it's hard to see that continuing, but it could continue. And if he's an average NFL starter and that defense plays the way it did last year, they're going to do again what they did last year. I don't think Tony's the one who made the decision to stick with Bortles. It's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard decision. It's a hard decision. Okay, look. First of all, let's be really honest here. I think Tony is playing a much larger role right now when it comes to Fulham, yeah, the soccer team, than he is with the Jaguars. And he's doing a darn good job with it too. And he's doing an amazing job because they just got promoted to the Premier League. Yeah, he's doing an amazing job, but. Uh, I don't think he, you know, it's hard enough to make that decision when you have an average quarterback. You know, it's like the Andy Dalton decision. Right. And I think Bortles is a little bit of a level below that. But it's hard to decide that you're going to to draft a quarterback to replace him, especially when, if you're Jacksonville, you would have had to make a major trade to get up into the top four quarterbacks this year. Although, obviously, they could have gotten Lamar uh, Jackson. Sure. And I think too, like they have a heavy investment into Blake Bortles, haven't taken him third overall, you know, the fifth year option, all that. I wonder looking at the, um, the stats and the team DVOA rankings and uh, weighted defense and all of that on, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, variance is one of those things that you guys include on the website. And it's, I mean, if I can put it in what I think it means in a layman's sense, basically how consistent is a defense week to week, right? Right. Uh, the, I, I thought it was fascinating that of the top six defenses, the Jaguar, Jaguars were number one, but were 29th in terms of variance. The Ravens were third, but were 32nd in terms of variance. The Eagles were fifth, but 31st in terms of variance. And the Rams were, were, uh, were sixth, but 30th in terms of variance. How much does that variance play into what you might see the next year in terms of consistency from a defense? I honestly don't have an answer for you on oh. that. That's an interesting question for us to go back and look at. I'm sure I've looked at it and we've never seen a trend, but that doesn't mean right. the trend isn't there. It just means we should look at it again. Okay. But you know, you know there are games like the game where Jimmy Garoppolo took Jacksonville apart. Yes. And people will point to that and say, like Prisco said, oh, well, they schemed it up. It's like, well, yeah, that's what, that's what people do against defenses, scheme up offense. The, uh, the Rams one, I will say all the Rams stats from last year come with a little bit of an asterisk because of that week 17 game. Hmm. One of the reasons why their variance is so high is that week 17 they sent out their second string defense. True. Yes, that, that will <laughs> hurt. They didn't play. They didn't play well. Right. Um, speaking of the Rams, I I was reading the Bears chapter, and um and I and I wondered. I, well, I know the answer, but I'll allow you to answer it because I read the chapter. Um, do you buy into the idea that the Bears in 2018 can be the Rams in 20 for the Rams from 2017? We are, we buy into the idea that the story is possible. Uh-huh. We don't buy into the idea that the story is likely. That's important. To be the Rams last year, what the Rams did is phenomenally rare. 
it is um if you take out week 17 it's the biggest year over year dvoa improvement of any team go goes back to 1986 uh when you add in week 17 it ends up only being number 2 but it's the if you take out week 17 it's the biggest dvoa improvement it's the biggest offensive dvoa improvement the biggest improvement by a quarterback you can't just expect that every time that a new offensive minded head coach comes in with a second year top drafted quarterback that they're going to turn into the 2017 Los Angeles Rams. Also, the Bears are missing an important part of the 2017 Los Angeles Rams called Aaron Donald. <laughs> yes. And, and <laughs> Todd to, Gurley. Not to mention, not to mention Todd Gurley, Michael Brockers, um, Johnny Hecker, right? I mean, one yeah. thing that makes the Rams so good is their excellent special teams. Uh, so even if the offense improves, uh, there's nothing that says that the other parts of the team are going to improve in the same way that the Rams were so good last year. Yeah, and I think, too, it's worth noting that while the Seahawks were trending backwards, the Cardinals had a horrific season marred by injury, and the 49ers didn't get uh, – were, were terrible until the final five weeks of the season. Uh, th- it's not going to be the case in the NFC North, where the Vikings have a great defense and, and the Packers have Aaron freaking Rodgers. Right. I, I, the Packers have added a lot of defensive talent. I mean, they just lost one of them to injury in Jake Ryan, but they've added a lot of young defensive talent. And Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. And, and, uh, Detroit is not a pushover. Mm. Yeah. And, but, but so this is, this is the discussion we're going to have about every NFC division, right? Because the, the, the conferences are so imbalanced right now. All the NFC divisions just seem like, like hardcore. Everyone is out against each other. Whereas in the AFC, you're like, well, somebody's going to have to win a wild card, I guess. Yeah. No, in the, in the NFC, you look at it and you're like, okay, I can find two teams maybe that are definitely not going to make the playoffs. And the AFC, you can pinpoint, I don't know, five, I mean, maybe closer to 10 that you feel very comfortable putting your life on the line. I mean, not your full life, but you know, I mean, if you had to risk your life, you would, you would feel at least kind of comfortable doing it. But I, I thought it was interesting to note too, that the team you mentioned uh, who made the other huge DVOA improvement that would have beaten the Rams were not for week 17, uh, the 2011 Panthers coached by Ron Rivera, who replaced John Fox, which is, yes. <laughs> so maybe the bears, maybe the bears have that. Um, can the Browns, be a playoff contender in 2018. I believe that they can be. Now, helped along by what we've just said about the AFC, where the wild card battle is going to be everybody who's still six and seven after week 14 is still <laughs> going to, you know, be in that wild card race. But I think the Browns are going to be in that wild card race. We have them projected with a top 10 defense. Wow. And when you add to that the fact that they are going from the worst quarterback in the game last year to somebody who should be average, maybe a little below average, uh, that's just a huge improvement. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a massive improvement. And I think, too, that um, I'm not a Hugh Jackson fan, but taking the play calling off of his plate at the very least serves the benefit of, of giving him less stuff to mangle or less stuff to do. Um, anytime you take something off somebody's plate, they should, in theory, improve a, a little bit. Um, what, what's, uh, oh yeah, actually wait, the Eagles, they are quote unquote only projected for nine wins, uh, nine mean wins or 9.1, I think. What about that team could cause them to regress in 2018? Well, well, first I should point out that our projection system is naturally very conservative. So when you're thinking about where a team is projected, it's probably better to look at where it ranks Mm. rather than the number, because almost every team ends up 
uh, between like seven and nine. There's a group of eight teams that are ahead of the rest of the league, and Philadelphia is in that group. Okay. But there are plenty of things that could cause them to regress. First of all, like I said, defense inconsistent, harder to predict than offense, as, as even though we're predicting they're going to have a very good defense. But on offense, there's two really strong things. Um, uh, red zone passing. The Eagles were the third best team since 1986 passing in the red zone. Wow. That is not going to continue. They were actually below average running in the red zone, and that probably is also not going to continue. But red zone performance is more important than other performance, but also less consistent and varies more from year to year. So there's going to be regression there. The other is third down. There was a huge gap between Philadelphia's offense. They were 13 in DVOA on first down, 20th on second down, and then first on third down and phenomenal on third and long. And all it takes is a swing of a few third and longs, and it means a big difference in the win-loss column. Now, here, here's the one thing that's not included in our projections, I think, which is they sort of expect that every team is going to play the game the same, and we know that Philadelphia is over-aggressive, mm-hmm. right? When they fail on third down, it's not necessarily a failure, especially if they only fail by a little bit. They don't see an eight-yard gain on third and nine as a failure. They see it as an opportunity to go for it on fourth and one. And that's going to mean their offense is going to keep the ball more than other offenses are. And it's a good, it's a good reason to believe they may outperform the offensive projection. Mm, interesting. By the way, people can, if you want to buy the Football Outsiders Almanac, and you should totally do that, if you go to footballoutsiders.com backslash products, uh, between now and August 13th, the early bird special for 99 bucks, you get Football Outsiders Almanac 2018, premium access at FO for a year, and uh, weekly fantasy projections and NFL charting, but most importantly, if you are a fantasy football head, uh, the Kubiak fantasy projections, which are hand designed by Gary Kubiak himself, right? Yes. <laughs> I wish I had not named them after him in retrospect because it seems very strange. But the idea was that baseball prospectus named their projection system after a backup from the 80s. So I named my projection system after a backup from the 80s. <laughs> And I thought that Kubiak sounded like one of those mainframe computers from yeah. the early 60s, like ENIAC and UNIVAC. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's a workbook that's downloadable. You can customize it to the rules of your league. It has IDP players in it if you go that way. We update it throughout the preseason. Uh, the projections, the starting projections are in the book, but the Kubiak workbook uh, gets updated throughout the preseason, and that's also $20 on its own. The book The book is $20 in PDF form, or if you go to Amazon and you want the big printed copy so that you can kill mosquitoes with it, it's (laughs) $28.95. You you can kill a lot bigger things than a mosquito with the It's a large book. Yeah, but (laughs) but it's slamful. Look, I'm going to tell people right now about the Kubiak projection, and Pakoda is what you're referring to, of course, with uh, Baseball Prospectus. But um, with the Kubiak projections, if you go and get them, and I highly recommend that you do, I do it every year, you are going to plug in your league settings and someone that you don't understand why they're there is going to pop up in the, into a portion and you're going to look at it and say, I, that's stupid. They shouldn't be there. You're not going to draft them. And then they're going to do well. It happens every single year. It seems to be Larry Fitzgerald. Yes. Oh. Um, Alex Smith, I think it's going to be Alex Smith this year. I think Alex Smith's average draft position is based on the idea that he's still in the Kansas City offense. Washington throws like a hundred more passes a year than Kansas City does. Mm. So you, so you are, are you high on the Redskins as well or just Alex Smith? 
Um, just that he's going to throw more and thus have better fantasy numbers. I think Washington comes out as something like a league average team in the average simulation, but in the NFC, that doesn't get you into the playoffs. In the NFC, that's a losing team. Being average is a losing team in the NFC. Right, and worth noting, too, that weird things happen with this oblong-shaped leather ball, and sometimes average teams end up winning 11 games or average teams end up winning five games. You never know how that Right. Happens. They go to the playoffs like last year's Buffalo Bills. <laughs> That's and the right. next year we say they're the worst team in football like this year's Buffalo Bills. I have a hard time believing they won't be. Who else is who else pops to your mind um, when you think about the Kubiak projections if, without giving away too much of course that that might uh, over that might exceed sort of where they're being drafted or where they're being perceived by the general public. Oh, I'd have to open it up to look at all the um the ones Alex Smith is the one who's most. We seem to always be so high on, um, on uh, on on Fitzgerald. He just never seems to get old. Um, the the running backs who catch passes like Duke Johnson. I think that so many leagues have gone to PPR in the last few years, and mm. I, I don't know if that's fully being understood by the people who are drafting them yet. Like the value of those receiving backs like the Duke Johnson and the Tarek Cohen and the guys who are going to like catch like 70 passes. If you're in a PPR league, that's really valuable. Well, uh, what about somebody like Alvin Kamara, who was so, so explosive as a rookie is his yards per carry 6.1 yards per catch over 10 and touchdown percentage, uh, replicable in 2018. No, I don't think anybody thinks so, really. But I think that our projection for him probably goes along with most of the projections you see, which is he's not going to hit those highs on an efficiency basis, but he's going to get the ball more in part because of the Mark Ingram suspension. And that should even out and still make him a first-round draft pick in fantasy. Um, you guys have, it appears, Le'Veon Bell having a pretty stupendous season. Um, it, the I'm trying to think what the... What's the 370 touch, uh, rule, rule of 370 or whatever it is? Right. The, 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 the curse of 370, the idea that running backs who carry the ball 370 more times are at a greater risk for injury. And it's not like there's really a hard and fast line there, but we're only projecting 324 carries. Touches don't matter. It's carries that matter. Mm. What matters is, um, carries. Touches, catches don't tend to lead to running backs getting you know, it doesn't seem to be a, a workload thing where they break down. It's much more about the runs. And it's not like there's a line at 370. It's an idea of sort of gradual, don't overwork your running backs. Right, okay. And so Le'Veon Bell, you believe, even though he had a ton of carries last year, uh, not 370, of course, but you, you, you still think that he can have a big year. What uh, Saquon Barkley is also another guy, and I just happen to be in the Bs here, and I noticed that he um, – he has a significant projection. Do you think the the addition of Nate Solder and Will Hernandez, um, coupled with the return of Odell Beckham, and maybe the resurgence of Eli Manning is enough for, for Saquon to step in and be dominant? Well, I think Saquon will step in and get big numbers for fantasy purposes. I mean, look, we love him as a player. Right. The uh, back cast, which is our running back projection system, he had like the second highest projection of the last 20 years. Wow. Uh, based on his college production combined with his combine numbers and his weight i mean he's a phenomenal prospect at the running back position so and you know there's all indications are they're going to feed him the ball big time including as a receiver where he has a ton of talent 
So the like the Saquon Barkley fantasy argument is a different argument than where are the Giants going to finish, which is a different argument than should you take a running back <laughs> number two in the draft. Like there are three different arguments. Uh, I'm not an Eli Manning believer. I think Eli is over the hill. Uh, I think it's more than just the offensive line that's the problem. Obviously, look, he had like no receivers last year, but the year before he wasn't that good either. Yeah, Eli is not. Eli's secretly not good in general, but he did have two great playoff runs. Um, I am curious about, do you guys have any historical data on how players, like a Dalvin Cook, for example, who might recover from an ACL? I got in an argument with Adam Azer of our Fantasy Football Today podcast saying that he wanted, he was willing to take Dalvin Cook fifth overall in a fantasy league. And I said that even though I love Dalvin Cook, that's a bit of madness because uh, he is returning from an ACL injury. Yeah, we have him as like the seventh running back in PPR. Uh, I think it was a, wow. a fairly early, early uh, injury in the year. And, and guys are coming back from from ACL injuries at a higher level than they used to. Right. But I mean, do you, uh, you don't you don't you're not worried about like cutting and all of that. You know, well, we have years? him as a red risk. We we right. we grade every player for risk, red, yellow, or green, and he have him as a red risk. So, right. you know, the risk that he's not going to hit his projection is higher than it is for most players. But so you know, yeah, there's a risk there. But uh, if if he's you know back to to being strong. They're going to feed him the ball a lot and should be a reasonable offensive line and a good offense where the wide receivers, you know, stretch the safeties back. And I think he'll have good numbers. All right. I will get you out of here on this. Would you rather have Carson Wentz or Deshaun Watson? Uh, for fantasy purposes or on my team? Uh, you can answer either or or both if you like. It's a hard one. Um, I think I'd rather have Carson Wentz on my team because we've seen it over a longer period of time, 13 games as opposed to five and a half. Um, for fantasy purposes, I'd rather have Deshaun Watson because he's going to run more. Mm. Even with the injury? Even even coming off the ACL? You, you're well, not they're worried. Both, you, yeah, they're they're both are, coming yeah. off ACLs. But you're not, you don't seem very worried about ACL injuries. No, about guys coming off ACLs. I think he's the kind of player you are is the kind of player you are. Hmm. Even even a guy, even a young quarterback who needs to use his legs behind a questionable offensive line. Personally, I'm not touching them for fantasy just because I think that they're a little bit overvalued where they're going. But, but. yeah, the problem is that Watson won't go at a discount. Right. With quarterbacks, the quarterbacks are so close together that it almost doesn't matter who's valued where. What matters is which one can you get last who's better than four or, the five, four or five of the guys who go in front of him. Like, I really like Alex Smith. I really like this year. Like, Mar Mariota to bounce back a little bit, I really like. Roethlisberger, Matthew Stafford. Um, you know, if you wait a little while, shoot, take a shot at Andrew Luck. Like, sure. the quarterbacks are so close together, you don't have to overpay for Deshaun Watson or, like, Russell Wilson. No, that's a good point, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. All right, uh, this was a blast, and, and we ran through a bunch of time very quickly. And Is there anything else that I forgot to plug about Football Outsiders or uh, or the Almanac that you want to include? No, man, just mention the Almanac again. It's over 500 pages. There's college football projections in there as well, stat projections for all 130 FBS teams, write-ups for the top 50, plus all the fantasy projections and write-ups, plus the essays about all 32 teams. 
including the monumental People versus Sashi Brown FE. <laughs> I forgot uh, to ask you about it. Hold on. I'll ask you about that now. I totally agree. We talked about it before the podcast. Um, can you, so I like, I like reading these chapters and, and, and starting out and getting through a paragraph and then trying to guess who the author is based on, um, how, how the author comes out of the gate. Like, I think you can tell when, uh, Scott Casmer's like writing. And I think that you can tell when Mike, Mike Tanner's writing. You can just, you can just tell a difference. I can hear the voice in there. Um, and when I read the Cleveland Browns and there was a, a judge, Ed Hockley presiding over the court, um, I could tell that it was going to be a Tanner, uh, Tanner leaning article, but was very pleased when you and Mike went back and forth on a courtroom debate about the Browns. Yes, I will say Hockley as the judge was my idea, but, <laughs> you know, Mike has been sort of the, the counter argument about the whole Cleveland Moneyball dumping problem all year long in his, uh, Bleacher Report articles. And I felt like it was important to give that, that, uh, point of view. The idea that what they're doing is not, that analytics does not mean dumping. That there's more to analytics than dumping. And that what they did was bad for analytics and bad for the team. And then there's also an argument that this team is, has in fact built a bunch of talent and is going places and that what they've done is good for the team. And I'm like, well, let's just make both arguments. So we did it in a back and forth way, like a court case. And then we left it up to the reader to decide. But I think what we'll really decide is what Cleveland does this year. Yeah. I think if they go like seven and nine or better, people will be like, oh, you know, it kind of worked. And uh, if they're worse than that, people, you know, as much as we want to blame Hugh for everything, and as I go through in the chapter, there are reasons to believe that Hugh and Greg, Greg Williams in particular, are doing some really weird stuff. So like with lining the teams up in Cleveland, lining up Jabril Peppers in, in the other team's end zone, and <laughs> like running base defense against eleven personnel constantly, like not putting a nickel back on the field when it, when, when the other team's going to pass. Um. But but I think also, I think in general, most people, if Cleveland has another really bad year, will be like, okay, yeah, the money ball thing didn't work. So obviously, for the sake of the analytical world, I'm hoping that it does. I'm hoping that they have a successful year. I don't think they need to make the playoffs to consider it a successful year. But they can't go 0-16 again, that's for sure. Yeah, I think they need to manage a way to fight. They need to fight and wait and, and tread around 500 be in that six and seven wild card race that you were talking about. Be in the conversation for not the top pick late and to have some of these guys that were picked by the analytical side, the analytical front office, and there's not a ton of them, make some, make some positive impacts too. So that's. And they have. The Ogba, Ogba was a really yeah. big analytical pick and he has played really well. The guys who haven't are the receivers, right? Especially right. Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman was an analytics pick and has not obviously been healthy. And they would like to see him be healthy. But yeah, either that, or if they're awful for most of the year, if they go on a run like San Francisco did at the end last year, if they mm -hmm. suddenly win their last five in a row or something, then I think people will be like, oh, something's up here. But yeah, they can't go three and 13. They got to be like seven and nine or better. Yeah. And, and then I think the other thing too with Cleveland is that you talk about the, the analytics thing. People are going to forget that it was Hugh Jackson who wanted Cody Kessler and Deshaun Kaiser. Like it was, you know what I mean? Like even though they had all these picks, but Hugh is the guy who impressed. I've had other people tell me Hugh didn't want those guys. Like I've heard some, everybody mm. in Cleveland, this is one of the bad things about what's happened in Cleveland. Everybody in Cleveland has their own freaking story about yeah. who wanted who and who, who drafted who. And everybody, it seems like there's all this kind of behind the scenes sniping and sniping through the media. So 
I mean, I've had people, I've read things that say that, that Hugh wanted Cody specifically. I've read other things that said Hugh didn't want Cody specifically. What I know is this. It was always meant to be a three-year plan. From talking to guys in the organization, it was always meant to be a three-year plan. The idea was take a couple shots at young quarterbacks, and if they don't succeed in their first or second year, when it comes to the third year, that's when you use the first-round pick on a quarterback mm. because by that point you've built the whole team around him to help him succeed, right? There's no guarantee that Carson went if he had gone to Cleveland without the coaching and the scheming of Doug Peterson and the receivers that Philadelphia picked up last offseason. There's no guarantee that Carson Wentz becomes Carson Wentz. That's true, and the same goes for Deshaun Watson last year. All right, Aaron Schatz, check out footballoutsiders.com. Buy the almanac. If you don't do it, you're a fool who doesn't love football. Follow him at F-O underscore A-Shots on Twitter. Thanks, my man. Hey, thanks for having me on.